Welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we teach and preach the truth of the Catholic faith without compromise and without apology. We want to give you high energy and non-boring Catholicism, where anyone at any time can come to know exactly what the Catholic Church teaches and why. We do apologetics, spirituality, other religions, our culture, and more. Most of all, we want to inspire you, inform you, and help you to know, love, and live your Catholic faith with purpose and passion. We are Catholic Truth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of Debunking Robert Breaker. My name is Brian Mercier, president of Catholic Truth. We're going to be continuing to debunk Robert Breaker's video on why he's not a Catholic. Also, let me say this. The Roman Catholic Church also teaches that Peter, as the very first pope, went to Rome. But yet you have a problem. In the Bible, not one time, never in the Bible, do we ever find Peter going to Rome. Peter never went to Rome, but you know who did go to Rome? Paul. Paul went to Rome. Matter of fact, I believe it was the Romans who killed him. This first clip, it's not an argument. This is not an argument. Just saying that there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that Peter went to Rome, that's an argument from silence. And even scholars, Protestant scholars, Mr. Breaker is a Protestant, and even Protestant scholars say that arguments from silence are not good arguments because they break down and they do not hold up in many different ways across the board. For example, the Bible, first of all, does not say that everything is in the Bible. John chapter 21, look at the last verses of John's Gospel. It said there are many things that Jesus did which were not recorded and written down. And he goes on to say that if they were, not all of the books in the entire world could hold everything that he could have written about Jesus. <laughs> Think about that. All of the books, this is probably hyperbole, but he's saying that all of the books in the world can't hold everything that Jesus said and did. There's just so much more. But he recorded the core aspects. So given the fact that not everything was written down or recorded in John's Gospel or the entire Bible, there's good reason to believe that Peter still could have gone to Rome even if it's not mentioned because there are countless things that are not mentioned in the Bible, and that's just a reality. 1 John 1 verse 12 says that I write these things to you so that you know I, I have so much more to say to you, John tells his readers, but I want to tell you in person. Paul says the same thing. Many people in the Bible say that, yes, I am writing these instructions for you, but there's so much that I want to say, but I don't want to use paper and ink. I want to speak to you face to face in person so that our joy may be complete. Meaning there's more that they had to say. There's more that they had to teach, but they wanted to do so in person. So we know for a fact that not everything is in the Bible and expecting every last word or teaching or phrase to be in scripture, it's not realistic because it's not going to happen. And there are many things that are not in Scripture. Nowhere does the Scripture say that you should worship in churches. The Bible states that Christians worshiped in houses. So if we're going to go strictly off only what the Bible says, then we should all be worshiping in houses. Nowhere does Jesus say that we could worship with musical instruments. Since we're saying, oh, well, Jesus never said this, since the New Testament never said this, Jesus never said we could worship with musical instruments. Does that mean they're bad? Or is that an argument from silence? 
With that being said, there is some evidence that Peter may have been in Rome according to the Bible. We know for a fact that he was in Rome according to history, but we're going according to the Bible here because that's what Mr. Breaker brought up. Now, in 1 Peter 5.13, Peter says, I write to you from Babylon. Mr. Breaker actually takes him literally and thinks that it's really Babylon. He thinks he's really in Babylon when other Christian scholars and historians say that Babylon is a code name for Rome and that Peter was writing under a code saying that he was in Rome, writing to them from Rome. We know that people in Rome, especially the Roman uh, emperors and such, were killing Christians and they wanted to kill those who were closest to the apostles and those who knew the apostles. So why would Peter who is the head of the church, advertised that he was in Rome. Maybe he was using this surname. And even the Encyclopedia Britannica and other historical sources say that Peter is writing under code, saying that he is in Rome, but he's using the word Babylon, which means that Rome is pagan, and corresponds that to ancient Babylon, who is pagan as well. And again, we know historically for a fact, we don't have to guess that Peter was in Rome because all of the earliest Christians say so. We made a whole video on this, so I'm not going to go into a lot of evidence but I want you to know that when Mr. Breaker says there's no evidence that Peter was in Rome, that maybe he died there, but he didn't do anything there. And he was, you know, Paul was definitely there, but Peter probably wasn't. See, here's the thing. All of the earliest Christians, all of them, and nobody says that Peter went anywhere else. Nobody says that Peter didn't go to Rome. They all say that Peter and Paul went to Rome they both died in Rome, and Peter was bishop there for 25 years, and both Peter and Paul founded and built up the church there in Rome. Listen to just a few quotes, and then you can see our other video if you would like a more extensive treatment on the subject. In 316 AD, Lactanatius says, When Nero was already reigning, Peter came to Rome. Peter he fixed to a cross, and Paul he slew. Peter of Alexandria in 306 says, Peter, the first chosen apostle, having been apprehended often and thrown into prison, at last was crucified in Rome. Paul was even himself put to the sword and beheaded in the same city. Eusebius the historian, 236 to 339, has the oldest surviving historical account of the early church, and he says this, Peter, at last having come to Rome, where he was crucified head downwards, the manner in which he himself thought it fitting to suffer. And he says a lot more. These are just quick quotes. Tertullian, in 211, in Rome, Nero was the first to stain the blood of rising faith. Peter was girded about by another and made fast to a cross, where Paul was crowned with a death like John's. Clement of Alexandria, Peter preached the word publicly at Rome. Irenaeus, 180 AD, we shall confound all of those by pointing out the succession of bishops of the greatest and most ancient church known to all, founded and organized in Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul, the church which has the tradition and the faith coming to us from the apostles. Could you get more clear that Peter was in Rome? Just because the Bible doesn't say Peter went to Rome, it also doesn't say Jesus is part of the Holy Trinity and is one being but has two distinct natures. No, it doesn't say any of that. But the fact is we know Peter is in Rome, so this argument of Mr. Breaker's does not hold up. And this guy set up his own state religion and forced people to believe that Peter was the first pope and that he went to Rome even though he went to Babylon. Mr. Breaker actually asserts 
in good conscience somehow that Constantine made Peter the first pope. Before this point, nobody believed Peter was the first pope, and he forced people to believe that Peter was the first pope. So not only did this pagan emperor make Peter the first pope, but then he went and forced everyone else after 325 AD to believe that Peter was the first pope. How do you argue with just arguments that don't live in the realm of reality. It's very difficult to discuss or even to have a normal intellectual conversation with someone when they don't even do the research, when they're not even on the playing field of actual historical evidence. You can't have an open and honest dialogue with people like this because it doesn't seem like they want to know the truth. They're not looking at actual historical records. They're not looking at the history because if you look at the history, it's impossible to say that nobody believed that Peter was the first pope or bishop of Rome before Constantine. And now, notice another thing. Where is his evidence? What source does he cite? What encyclopedia does he quote? What history book does he give us that we can fact check it? Nothing. Nada. We have to rely on his opinion. That's it. His opinion is the fact. And this is modern day apologetics where people just say stuff and nobody fact checks it. Anti-Catholics out there, if any of you are watching, or it's a lesson for Catholics as well. When people say things, fact check them. Fact check what I said about the earliest Christians saying that Peter went to Rome. You will find it. It's all there and more. Fact checked the claim that he said that Constantine was the first one to say that Peter was Pope and then forced people to believe that, show me one credible piece of evidence anywhere in a history book or encyclopedia or on the historical record, it's not there. You won't find it. So this is why it's good to fact check people and do your own research as well. Catholics have the wrong foundation and the wrong apostle. Their foundation is Peter when the Bible says the foundation is Christ. And they want to follow the apostle Peter when according to the scriptures we're to follow the apostle Paul. Today. In this section, Mr. Breaker says that Catholics have the wrong foundation. Christ is the foundation, but they make Peter the foundation. Now, we don't say that. We absolutely have taught for 2,000 years. The church has been clear. Holy Mother Church has said that Christ is the foundation, the cornerstone on which everything else must be built. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Peter could be the foundation or the apostles. And in fact, earlier in this video, Mr. Breaker himself quotes Ephesians 2 chapter 20, which says that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation. So, how could Jesus be the foundation and the apostles and prophets be the foundation? Is the Bible contradicting itself? Or could they both be the foundation in different ways? Different metaphors for different people with different meanings? The answer is yes. And yes, they can be. And so why can't Peter be the rock and Jesus be the rock, but in different ways? Of course, they are all built into the cornerstone who is Christ. There was a transition in the book of Acts from being saved the way Peter preached, water baptism, to being saved simply by trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you what the gospel is in a little bit. The gospel is salvation by grace through faith. And yet that's another thing. The Catholic Church says you're saved by works. When the Bible says you're saved by faith. Peter versus Paul. Which one? Which one do we follow today? 
according to the Bible, were under the ministry of Paul. But that's a different story. I really don't understand this section. I mean, many people all over the internet are starting to teach more and more that we don't need to listen to Jesus. We don't need to listen to Jesus. We don't need to listen to the Gospels, they're saying, because that is for the Jews. These writings were written for Jews. Jesus was speaking to Jews. So we don't need to obey that. We only need to obey Paul. And thanks to people like Mr. Breaker, who have 600,000 followers on YouTube and are misleading people and are interpreting the Bible in a delusive manner, now we have people stating that you don't even need to follow Jesus. You don't need to follow the other books of the Bible. We could probably just throw out the books of the Bible. We can throw out Peter. We don't need Peter, he says. Peter was for the Jews. We don't need the Jews. We follow Paul, okay? Then why is Peter in the Bible? Why is the New Testament written to Christians? It's not written to Jews. It's written to Christians with the exception of Matthew, which was written to Jews. The Bible in the New Testament was written for us. It's for our instruction. It's the Christian New Testament. And he's saying that we don't need to listen to Peter. And there's many more people who are saying, by, by extension, we don't need to listen to Jesus. We only need to listen to Paul. There's other people who are on the opposite side of the coin who are saying we don't need to listen to Paul because he's a false apostle. He came later. He is a delusive lunatic that has teachings contrary to what Jesus and the other apostles taught so we can safely ignore Paul. How about we ignore both of the extremes and we go by the whole New Testament? We don't divide it up. Oh, that part's for Jews. That part's for Gentiles. It's written for Christians. Even Matthew is for Christians. It's teaching us about Jesus. While it's written for Jews, it still applies to us. It still applies to us. The whole New Testament, the whole Bible, in fact, applies to us with proper interpretation. To say that we don't follow Peter or Jesus, then we only follow Paul because he's the apostle to the Gentiles, this whole thing is fallacious. It's sophomoric. And it's leading people to not accept the full truth of the Bible and to pick and choose which parts they want to follow. In many ways, Perhaps he does this because these other passages and these other books very much so confirm Catholic teachings. And he tries to dissuade us from believing in water baptism when in fact it's Jesus himself who says you must be born again. Jesus didn't say this is only for Jews. Jesus didn't say this is not for Gentiles. Jesus said if you are not born again of water and the Spirit, i.e. baptism, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Peter preached this same message in Acts 2.38 when he said that we must receive repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, yes, he was speaking to Jews, but making them Christians. This was the Christian message. Even Paul says that to be born again in Christ happens through baptism in Romans 6, 1 through 11. It talks about how we die with Christ through baptism and are raised to new life with him through baptism. This is the danger of the Bible alone. It all comes down to how I personally read the Bible, how I understand it, what I think of it, and I read it for myself, come up with my own thoughts, start my own church, start my own YouTube channel, get hundreds of thousands of followers, contradict everyone else around me, but it's what I think and I'm right and nobody can tell me different. This is very, very dangerous reasoning. In fact, the Bible says that these types of people twist the scriptures to their own destruction. The other reason that I can't be a Roman Catholic is that I can't follow a man. I can't worship a man. I don't believe it's correct to worship a man. Another thing about Peter is 
he refused to worship a man. And when people came to him, the first pope, according to the Catholic Church, he said, get up, don't, don't worship me, I'm just a man. So he refused worship. Well, popes throughout the centuries have, have asked for worship. They've made people come down and kiss their ring and, and kneel at their feet. People worship the Pope as though he was the Lord himself. Robert Praker, what are we going to do with this man? He says that he cannot become Catholic because he doesn't want to worship a man. Well, Christ is a man, Mr. Breaker. Do you not want to worship Christ the man? <laughs> but I know what he's saying. He's saying that the popes have demanded people worship them down through the centuries. And he just can't bring himself to worship a man, the pope. But again, what are we going to do with Mr. Robert Breaker here? It's, he's being silly. He's being fallacious. He's not being intellectually honest. I would love to see just one quote, Mr. Breaker, of where a single pope in all of history has commanded us to worship him. Can you please cite one? Because you didn't in the video. People, can you see how Mr. Breaker and other popular famous YouTubers and pastors like John MacArthur, they make these sweeping claims, but then they don't back them up with facts. They don't back them up with citation or evidence or anything else except their opinions. This is not credible. But yet, people believe them. People don't do the research. People don't fact check it. That's why there's so many thousands upon thousands of people who watch these videos and leave the Catholic faith without fact-checking them first. People, it's absolutely imperative that we look these things up, especially if something sounds fishy. Oh, well, the popes demanded people to worship them. Really? Why would a pope do that? Where did a pope do that? Where has a pope ever said that in history? Be cautious, people, of those YouTubers, pastors, and teachers who say these things but don't back themselves up with facts. They make sweeping generalizations but without any citations or evidence or proof. Where's the proof? You know that movie? <laughs> Give me the proof. I want to see the proof. We want to see the proof, Mr. Breaker, and you don't have any. So absolutely 100% popes have not called us to worship them. And in fact, if you look at the official writings of the Catholic Church, they specifically state that we are to worship God and God alone. And we quoted this in the past video and in several before with John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul and others, so we're not going to requote them here, but it says that we must follow Christ. We adore God alone. Jesus alone is worthy of our worship because he is the God-man, and so on and so on. Where does he get this information from? Well, he relies strictly on conjecture, assumptions. Rather than reading actual Catholic documents, he only goes by what he sees and assumes, really. I mean, he, uh, he's, uh, he's claiming that Catholics bow before each other and they bow before the Pope and kiss his ring. And therefore, that has to be worship. I kiss my wife. I knelt down before my wife and I kissed her when I proposed to her. I knelt on one knee and I got before her and it might have been like I was worshiping her. But if I kneel and kiss my wife, 
Is that worshiping her? No, it's an act of love. It has nothing to do with worship. I honored her. I respected her. When people bow before the Pope and kiss his ring, it's a respect for the office of the papacy that Christ gave us. It has nothing to do with worshiping a man. I mean, that is a serious accusation that has to be backed up by facts. If you're going to assume that just because people bow to someone else or bow to each other even, that that is an act of worship. Yes, of course, you could worship someone by bowing if that is in your heart and in your intention to do so. But the majority of bowing in and out of the Bible has nothing to do with worship, and we're going to prove this. For example, people in China bow to each other all the time. It's Asian culture to bow to one another as a greeting, as a sign of respect. And likewise, if you go to England and you meet the queen, you would have to bow before the queen of England. Or you might put your knee down to the ground and kneel before her just as a sign of respect. It has nothing to do with worship. So again, if you're going to accuse people of worship, you have to have facts. And you, Mr. Breaker, cannot read people's hearts because worship comes down to the intention of the person. And you cannot know if somebody, just by kneeling or even kissing another person, you can't know their intentions. A man might kiss a woman out of love, or he might kiss a woman to make another woman jealous. But you really can't know that unless you know the intention of a man. And he, Mr. Breaker, is just assuming the worst for Catholics, which the Bible and all holy men and women say not to do. You don't make the assumptions about people or assume the worst. You give them the benefit of the doubt unless you have some facts to disprove that. Likewise, in the Bible itself, from beginning to end, bowing is primarily a sign of respect and honor and greeting to other people, just as we do with the Pope. They did with each other in the Bible. Very rarely do you see bowing as an act of worship. Yes, it's there, but many more times it's only there as an act of respect. Let's look at a few verses. We have a whole video on this, but because I want you to see the facts, and I don't want to just say these things without backing it up, I want to show you from the Bible and give you a few facts, and then I can point you to our video for a deeper examination of it. We know from the Bible that John bows before an angel as worship, and he gets reprimanded for it. Maybe he did it in fear, but he had the wrong intention. But many more people bowed before angels as a sign of fear or holy respect, and they did not get reprimanded for it. And in fact, in Joshua 5.14, Joshua bows his face to the ground before an angel, and he doesn't get reprimanded for it because it's an, uh, an act of greeting or an act of honor and respect. In 2 Kings 4.37, a woman bows down before the prophet Elisha. Again, he didn't correct her. He didn't reprimand her. All throughout the Bible, we see this happening. And in fact, King David, it says in 2 Kings, it says King David came down and bowed before Bathsheba. He bowed his face to the ground. He also bowed his face to the ground before King Saul. And other people bowed their faces to King David because these were acts of respect and honor for the king and for other people. There are many, many, many verses of people bowing down in the Bible. Even Jesus himself said to the Israelites that I will make your enemies come and bow down before you. So again, bowing does not equal worship, Mr. Breaker. And bowing can symbolize greetings, honor, and respect to others. It happens all the time in different cultures. And if you're going to assume that just because we bow down before the Pope or kiss his ring, that you have to prove that bowing 
and kissing is an act of worship. And you have to show with actual facts and citations where the Pope commands people to worship him. But it does not happen. Matter of fact, uh, Peter said, silver and gold have I none. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he healed the guy. He didn't have any money. Well, you look at popes today, oh, they have elaborate costumes. And they're all gold, many made with gold thread, with gold. Uh, they're some of the richest people in the world, are the popes. They have more money than they know what to do with. Their, their gold and silver is everywhere on display around them. Mr. Breaker says that the popes are some of the richest people on earth. They sit on gold and are surrounded by gold, and that supposedly is a problem for the papacy. There are a whole lot of problems with just this short clip. The first being, do you know how much the pope gets paid? $4.3 million a year. Just kidding. The Pope doesn't get a paycheck. That's right. You heard me correctly. The Pope does not get a paycheck. The Pope gets paid zero dollars a year. Yes, he has people cook his food, wash his clothes, and do those things. But even priests only get paid like $25,000 a year, which is meager, meager. I mean, I don't even know if that's minimum wage. But uh, the fact is the Pope does not get paid. So how rich, Mr. Breaker, is the Pope really if he doesn't even get a paycheck? Now, he will go on to say yes, but he's still surrounded by glorious churches and gold and artwork and golden vessels and thrones and different things like that. Now, that's like saying King David was one of the richest people in the world. Yes, maybe he was because he got lots of booty, but it was not because of the temple. It was not because the temple was laden in gold. It was not because the temple had gold candlesticks and a gold ark and gold casing and gold everything from top to bottom, right to left. I mean, literally, God commanded the temple to be laden and everything in the temple to be laden in gold. Now, does that mean the Israelites were wrong and evil and bad just because they had things that were in gold? No. The temple did not belong to David. It did not belong to any prophet. It was Israel's. So a king or say like King David could not sell the temple. You can't just liquidate the temple because it didn't belong to him. It belonged to the Israels. In the same way, the Vatican, the gold, the artwork, the lands, that does not belong to the Pope. Popes come and go. That None of those things belong to him. Those belong to the people of God us. I mean, it's for the church. All of that is for us so we can go visit it, so we can be inspired, so we can have our minds cultivated and transcended to the things of God. When we go to the Vatican museums or when we go visit the churches, when we go worship in the churches, most of these churches were not even built by the, the Catholic Church. Many of them were donated by ancient emperors because the Catholic Church was persecuted for over 300 years. We had our lands taken away from us. We had our churches confiscated and burned to the ground. We had the Bible uh, burned, and so the monks literally had to run for their life trying to save the Bible, trying to save their own lives. And so many emperors like Constantine gave back the lands to the church, gave back buildings, and built bigger ones for them as recompense for what we lost. So this has nothing to do with being rich and the, church, and, and the Pope sitting in luxury. I mean, maybe if he was sitting in a pile of gold, that might be one thing, and he was spending all this money frivolously on himself. But the Pope walks many places. He spends his own money uh, here and there that people donate to him to buy a hamburger or something. In fact, the Pope hosts 
breakfasts and dinners at the Vatican for sometimes hundreds of poor people throughout Rome. And he has people there shave their beards, give them showers, give them more food than they've seen in their life, and treats them like absolute royalty, treats them like dignity, like the sons and daughters of God that they are. The Pope is serving the poor people in Italy with the money that the church has. In fact, the church is the largest charitable organization on the face of the earth, feeding more people, clothing more people, helping more people on planet earth over 2,000 years than any other organization. So even if the church does have money, it's using it for good as Christ commands us to do. She commands us to feed the poor, clothe the naked, help the sick. That's exactly what the mission of our church is and what it does. So how, Mr. Breaker, can you say that the Pope is evil because he has supposedly has all this money for himself. It's not his money. It's not his artwork. It's not his statues. It's the churches. So your argument just doesn't hold up, Mr. Breaker. And if people would like to see a lot more informative information on this, please check out our video on YouTube, and I'll try to link it above or below along with the other videos that we mentioned. And that video is called, Is the Catholic Church Too Rich? Or it might be called, Is the Vatican Too Rich? Today, popes are supposed to be unmarried. So if you're a pope, you cannot get married according to the Catholic Church. Well, guess what? Peter does not make a very good pope. In this clip, he goes on to say, oh, I guess Peter was not a very good pope because guess what? Peter was married. Yes, Peter was married. Catholics know that. Catholics do not have a problem with that. But to say that Peter was married, therefore the other popes are all wrong, that does not hold up. That line of reasoning does not follow. Again, there are a whole host of problems with this one argument that he's given. The first is that, yes, Peter was married, but was he married at the time Jesus called him? Or did his wife leave him? Were they divorced? Did she die? Did she not follow him on his mission, on his calling? There's a whole host of questions here, but the fact remains that we hear about Peter's mother-in-law, which is why we know he was married, but not once did we hear about his wife, which would be extremely, extremely odd if Peter still had his wife, if she followed him as Protestants seem to think she did. You know, Peter's wife just followed them, but you never once hear about her, ever. Why is that the case? So again, we have to ask the question, is she just not mentioned, or is it more likely to assume that Number one, she died. It is possible that she died and Peter did not have a wife at the time Jesus called him. It's also possible that perhaps they separated and he, he did not have a wife at the time that Jesus called him. Or third, maybe he did have his wife still, but how do we know she followed him? Peter himself said, Lord, we have given up everything to follow you. So how do we know that he didn't leave his wife for this mission as well? There's a whole host of questions here and not a lot of answers, but just to assume that Peter was married when maybe he didn't even have a wife at the time. Maybe his wife wasn't even around anymore. Maybe he was married, but at the time Jesus called him, he wasn't anymore. This is not an argument. It's not a very good argument anyways. Irregardless, even if it is true, it still doesn't prove the point, and here's why. What Mr. Breaker doesn't seem to know is that popes technically can be married. So it's fine that Peter was married. 
Currently, we have a discipline that says the Pope has to be elected from the College of Cardinals, but historically and traditionally, the Pope could come from anywhere. He could even be a married layperson. He could be a layperson who wasn't married, but he doesn't have to be a priest to be the Pope. Historically, you didn't have to be uh, a priest or a bishop or a cardinal to be the Pope. You could be a layperson. So being a married Pope is not against the Catholic Church, Mr. Breaker, and it never has been. So being a married priest, Mr. Breaker, is not against the Catholic Church, and it never has been up until very, very recently. There's a reason that, pe that popes ask for worship. It's because the popes have held, uh, different hats. I think there's five or six different hats. And one of the hats of the pope says, Vicarius Filii Diem, or D, or however you pronounce Latin. It says, in the place of God. So the pope is boldly proclaiming to the world with his hat, I am here in the place of God himself. And that's why popes say, worship me. Because if you worship me, it's just as if you're worshiping God. Because I am God here on earth. That's what popes believe. Well, interestingly enough, if you take that Latin, vicarius fidium, or however you pronounce it, and you turn it into Roman numerals, you know what number comes out? It's uncanny. It's very weird how those three words in Latin, if you take all the numer Roman numerals, come out to six, six, six. Total up all those Roman numerals and it comes out to 666. I seem to remember somewhere in the Bible that, was it the beast or the Antichrist had on his forehead the names of blasphemies? Hmm, something to that effect. Well, maybe that's something else. But anyway... We try to stick with the facts and we don't try to poke fun at people because that doesn't help the conversation and it doesn't forward the conversation. Presenting facts is much more convincing. But with that being said, this section really hurt. Mr. Breaker can't even pronounce simple Latin, which means that, and his pronunciation of it shows that he has not studied this in depth. He's making his best effort to try to pronounce something he's never studied, but if Mr. Breaker hasn't even studied it, and it hasn't even taken one second to look up, how is this pronounced? Why are we supposed to trust him if he hasn't put in diligent research. If he hasn't put in due research, why should we trust Mr. Breaker? He can't even pronounce this. What else doesn't he know? If he's not willing to look up the little things, he's not going to look up the big things. Jesus said, if you can't be faithful in little things, you're not going to be faithful in greater things. The reason I bring this up is because so many anti-Catholics do shoddy research. They fail to properly before God, do proper research. They have in their mind what they want to be true, and they look up evidence that supports it rather than honestly studying both sides and following the evidence wherever it leads. Most of their argumentation, most of their research is not intellectually honest, and it does not come from a good place. It does not come from a place of honesty. It comes from a place where I want to disprove this church, specifically now the Catholic Church, and I'm going to use whatever evidence I can find, no matter how ludicrous or fallacious it is, no matter how untrue or unhistorical it is, and no matter the fact that I can't find anything to prove it, I'm still going to use it anyways. That's exactly what Jehovah's Witnesses do in their Watchtower organization. We did a uh, 
interview with a former witness who worked high up in the watchtower, he says himself that he could not find substantial or any real evidence for their doctrines. And while most people in the past would pass that off and just try to stick in what they can to prove it, he couldn't do that in intellectual honesty and he ended up leaving. But yet anti-Catholics are happy to present misinformation. They're happy just to present their opinions instead of facts as long as it proves their point. And they're deceiving many people in the process. This is what's truly sad, is that they are deceiving people in the name of God. They're leading people astray in the name of intellectual honesty while not doing anything intellectually honest. It's very dishonest, and it's very sad that 600,000 people are following this man's channel, and he doesn't have a clue about biblical interpretation, exegesis, or just history. It's really, really sad. We don't say this to make fun of him, but to call him out and to call people out to really look at who you follow and make sure they're supporting themselves with facts, not just their own personal interpretation of the Bible, because everybody does that. Oh, well, I, he backs it up with the Bible. No, he backs backs it up with his personal interpretation of the Bible. But how do we know his personal interpretation is true? Anybody can make the Bible sound true. He's a Baptist, and many people disagree with the Baptists, and many people disagree with them, and them, and them, and down the line, they all disagree with each other. Does it match up with what all of the earliest Christians said? Does it match up with the tradition that has come down through the centuries of Christianity? That is where we need to start researching. So anyways, he, he's talking about this Latin phrase, vicarius filii dei. He says that it means vicar of the Son of God and that he's proclaiming with his hat that I am here, and I'm reading his quote, in the place of God himself. And that's why the Pope says, worship me, because it's just like worshiping God, because I am God on earth. <laughs> This is rubbish, people. This is absolute rubbish. Mr. Breaker is lying, literally lying to you. He might not be intentionally lying, and we never accuse people of lying because they could just be drastically and grossly misinformed, which he is. But he is spreading lies, he's spreading misinformation, and this is the farthest thing from the truth. Not once in any document has a pope said, worship me because I am God here on earth. That doesn't even make sense. First of all, vicar of the Son of God has never been an official title of the Pope. Never. It's not a title of the Pope, but yet he says it's a title of the Pope, but yet he can't find an official source anywhere, anywhere that proves this. And in fact, we go into extensive details in this in our video on Seventh-day Adventists who also make this claim. But here's the bottom line. If the Pope doesn't call himself the Vicar of the Son of God, and it's not an official title of the Pope, then how can you make an argument saying that the Pope is the Vicar of the Son of God, and that equals 666, and that means the devil, when the whole thing has a faulty foundation in the first place, and it's not true from the beginning? That's what's called a straw man argument. And if you were to go and visit the Pope today, he would say, call me Holy Father. You know what? We have a problem. The Pope's not my father. <laughs> I'm not supposed to call anyone father. And in Matthew 23, 9, the Bible says, And call no man on earth your father, and call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. So Jesus Christ is commanding me and tells me, Don't call anyone on earth your father. He says there's one father in heaven. So this term, Holy Father, does not apply to the Pope. 
Holy Father, that's God in heaven. Why would a man here on earth tell you to call him the title of God? It was like he told you he had on his forehead. And he tells people, I am here in the place of God, so worship me as God. I can't do it. I can't be a Roman Catholic. To make radical claims, just complete conjectures, that the popes tell people, you must call me Holy Father, how does he know this? Has he ever met the pope? Has he ever seen this? Has he ever heard it? He doesn't give a single example of it. He doesn't cite a single source. I have been six feet from the Pope before. My friends have met the Pope before. Not once has the Pope said to anybody ever that you have to call me Holy Father. That's just not accurate, Mr. Breaker. And for all of you people who follow Mr. Breaker and all of you people who are so quick to, to accuse the Catholic Church, please, please realize that these things are just not true. They are gross misrepresentations of truth. And if our God is a God of truth, then please stand in truth and realize that these aren't true. And if you think they are, then back them up with facts and at least try to prove it. What Mr. Breaker doesn't realize is that there are two different definitions of the word holy in the Bible. One applies to God because of his infinite holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. By his nature, he is infinitely holy. But the word holy also means set apart, set apart for the purpose or the work of God, which is why God called the Israelites to be holy, which is why he called the temple holy. He called the the candles and the incense and everything else holy, the holy altar, the holy of holies, and so on and so on and so on. And in fact, the, the priests used to have to wear on their heads holy to the Lord because they were set apart for the work and the purpose of God. Likewise, the Pope has been, we believe, set apart for the work of God to run the church. Jesus gave Peter the the good shepherd. I mean, he made him the good shepherd in John 21. He set him apart for that task. So, in that sense, the Pope is holy in that he is set apart. Not that he's infinitely holy and pure and sinless and everything else as God is. No, only in the fact that he's set apart for the work of God. That is why we call him Holy Father. Sadly, people, from beginning to end, and you have to pity people like Mr. Breaker. You have to feel bad and you have to pray for him, even though he's misleading so many people. Like, literally, just for someone to be this grossly misinformed and willfully, it seems like, ignorantly misinformed is really, really sad. Please say a prayer for him at the end of this video. Now, I've cut off a lot here at the end just because the video's already so, so long and I could cover so, so many more errors from Mr. Breaker. He has no idea what he's talking about when it comes to Catholicism and he does not know what he's talking about when it comes to history or the Bible. But I want to thank you all for taking the time to watch this video, especially if you're not a Catholic and you're really researching the Catholic Church, you're looking into the Catholic Church. I really hope that you see that so many people, what they say about the Catholic Church just isn't true. What they claim about Catholic beliefs, dogma, doctrine, it's literally not true. And sometimes it's the opposite of truth. It's the furthest thing from the truth. And if you're a Catholic trying to learn your faith, trying to defend your faith, I really hope these help you. Take notes, learn the arguments, learn the catechism and the Bible quotes, commit them to memory and defend the faith. We need more of this. We need to know our Bible. We need to know our history and we need to know our faith. It's because God is a God of 
of truth. And if we live for Christ, then we need to live in truth. Unlike these people who slander and mislead people constantly in regard to Bible history and the Catholic truth, we want to live in truth and therefore we need to know it ourselves. So thank you all for watching. Please, if you want some daily inspiration, check out our social media platforms on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and so on, our Facebook group pages. And please, please, this these videos take so much time and effort. If you would consider supporting our ministry, $20 a month, $30, $50, $100 a month or more, whatever you can afford, whatever God calls you to, we put it all back to saving souls and changing lives. Thank you so much for all the people who do support our ministry, who do make it possible, and who do allow us to reach the world. Thank you all for watching, and God bless you.